Welcome back to the podcast. This week, I have Soleil Brooks, who is a rugby player in BC who has represented uh, Maple Ridge, who has gone on to play for BC and captained BC and has done some really amazing uh, work uh, in social justice in her school. Thank you so much, Soleil, for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Before we get into the podcast, Soleil is going to do a land acknowledgement for us. Yeah, I'm here on the uh, unceded traditional territory of the Katsi and Kwantlen First Nation. Yeah, have you found it balancing kind of training and school and when school was kind of online, kind of staying a bit more disciplined than usual? Uh, Yeah, so right now uh, with how our school's working, we're on quarters. So you have two classes for 10 weeks. And like for me, that's worked a lot better because before we were on the um, all year schedule. So, um, and it was kind of a struggle for me doing eight classes all year. But now, you know, I feel like I kind of like 10 weeks is a good chunk of time for me to focus on one thing. Yeah, COVID's definitely been a challenge, that's for sure. But tell me a little bit about uh, your plans for next year. I know you're headed off to UVic. And just take me through some of uh, your decisions behind that. I know I didn't really want to leave BC. I kind of like looked at maybe going to Alberta, but then I was like, I don't want to be cold. It's too cold (laughs) for me. And I kind of looked at my options here in BC and I decided that UVic was going to be the best fit for me because I knew that I kind of wanted to get away from the lower mainland. So I talked to uh, Brittany Waters, who's the head coach there, former Team Canada player. And uh, something super special for me about UVic, and I think this is one of the most unique things about their program, is I think they're like the only program in the country to have an all-female coaching staff. So that was something that was super unique. And uh, of course, to play for Brittany, who's one of like Team Canada's all-time greats as a back. So that was something super unique. And uh, Of course, their team has been putting a lot of work into uh, bettering the community of Victoria, uh, especially for BIPOC individuals. Uh, So they've gone, the rugby, women's rugby team has gone through um, to try and make it mandatory at all uh, UVic sporting events to have a landing acknowledgement before the game. And they were doing some fundraising to help uh, BIPOC women um, in shelters in Victoria. So that was something that was super important to me to see that social justice piece uh, in Victoria and especially in sport. Sport is definitely like that that great gateway into social justice and it's such an easy one and especially being at universities where you're trying to educate people and you're trying to get people involved in their community doing those things like land acknowledgements and and having initiatives that go towards supporting BIPOC students and athletes I think is a major one so I definitely commend you for doing your research and and finding a school that fit uh fit the bill for you there and yeah like you said it's great to have um Canadian athletes running a program there and you are totally right I think it is one of the only programs in Canada that has an all-female staff which is pretty impressive I know and especially as a front row they have Kim Donaldson working there who was a World Cup uh, silver medalist in 2014 and Julianne Zussman as well who's now gone into the uh, the officiating side of the game so absolutely such a great program and such a great um, coaching staff. In terms of the academics, what are you kind of looking at and what do you, what's your kind of thoughts around that? Um, I'm looking into going into social work. I think that's another thing that kind of really interests me. Um, I just think that it's a great way 
to kind of have a start in kind of getting into work because I think there's lots of things that you can go into if you want to go back to school and become a teacher or something there's always that opportunity or going into psychology or something after that so I think that it's a good start to kind of have a feel for everything and uh, kind of a good base if you want to change uh, to something else later in life. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty awesome that they have a social work program at UVic. I know having been to UBC that that's not necessarily an option right off the bat. Um, and also there's a good program at UFE as well. So it's definitely pretty cool to be able to marry up your education and your athletic pursuits and to find a school that fits for you that's in BC and kind of fits all all the areas that are really important to you, I think is is a great, uh, you're on a great path in, in terms of your post-secondary education. That's for sure. So tell me a little bit about your social justice work at school and what you're kind of doing at the moment? Uh, yeah, so a uh, super cool thing for me is that my vice principal is black as well. So having someone in my education, he's one of the, maybe one of the only black educators I've had throughout my school experience. Um, so uh, me and him kind of had a talk at the beginning of the year and kind of talking about um, what, um, kind of social justice is going to look like at my high school. And um, I think one thing that really did it for me is that, um, so of course, I get that people are obviously trying to uh, kind of educate themselves, but there was um, some signs that were put up during kind of that week where there was Black Shirt Day. And they really just um, kind of struck something in me. And obviously, like people are trying, but uh, there was one that said, um, La only laundry should be uh, sorted by color and then another one that said we're all shades of the same color and those like were just super problematic to me and uh, kind of especially the second one was like it kind of was like an all lives matter kind of sounding yeah, thing to me and the in uh, the laundry one I felt like one it made the connotation of like colored people are dirty. And the second one was trivializing racism into something as simple as sorting your laundry. So yeah. I kinda, I wrote an email to all the principals. I was like, hey, this is why this is wrong. And I also think that um, that was anti like segregation messaging as well. And I think that right now segregation is not an issue not that segregation isn't an issue, but it's not the bigger problem. I think that people that are racist aren't gonna be openly segregationalist necessarily. And I think that kind of, we need to focus more on people realizing their words rather than segregation. I don't think segregation is a huge problem in Canada, to be honest. Yeah, I think yeah, you're kind of spot on with that in the sense of it's not necessarily those open people that are extremely racist that are necessarily the the focal point because you that's a very small percentage of people that are going to openly be like extremely racist. The focal point is more around people who are looking at their biases and who don't understand that saying that yeah we don't see color or color isn't a thing or all lives matter and seeing the problem behind that and how that actually reinforces the systemic racism that, that we experience every day. And I think, especially as young people, I think that's really quite, quite sad to know that that those were put up in your school, especially 
around you know a day like you said i'm assuming the black shirt day was something to to show support behind the black lives matter movement and for people to put up signs basically to discredit the whole thing it just kind of showcases how deeply rooted it is and i was talking to one of my friends a, a little while ago and and she was saying how she was asked to do a COVID vaccine video because people of color were um, not taking the vaccine here in the UK. And she was like, I think it's, yeah, it's great to get that kind of out there. But at the same time, why do you think people of color aren't taking the vaccine? It's because they don't get the same treatment in medical care and it, medical going to the, to the hospital can be a really traumatic experience for a person of color. So to now put this video out saying, take this vaccine, it just kind of reinforces the entire concept behind systemic racism. And I think it's quite similar, you know, seeing it in a place of education where it's supposed to be a place where you're learning and everyone is, is welcome. Yes. But at the same time, not recognizing that there are differences between people um, is a huge one. A hundred percent. And like, even I think people are really reluctant to acknowledge the issues. And like, even um, if you kind of even bring in slavery into it. Um, so uh, my father isn't present in my life. And so my high school rugby coach, he, we were on a trip and he's asking, oh, so like, I see your mom, but like, obviously, like, just like a genuine question out of concern. A hundred percent. And I get that. Like, of course, if I was a coach, I'd be the same person because you want to have an understanding for your athletes and their problems. But so I was like, oh, yeah, like I just kind of explained like kind of a little bit like about my life. And just I was like, yeah, I mean, so my dad's dad wasn't present in him, his life as well. And, you know, it's just kind of because my dad's from a little neighborhood outside of Las Vegas and uh, it's a black community and you know, and he's like, you can't say things like that. And I was like, I can because like slavery has had a big impact on how black family dynamics work, especially in America. And I'm not making the stereotype that all black people don't have dads and their dads are criminals and left. That's not what happened in my case. Like my dad didn't go to jail or anything. Uh, that was his own personal choice that he made for himself. And if, and of course, as I've gotten older, like I've kind of like learned to accept that. And if he wanted to do his own thing, go for it. But um, I think that people kind of like safeguarding themselves from realities that slavery has had a big impact on black family dynamics and crime in black neighborhoods as well as kind of like redlining as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of how the neighborhoods were drawn out and if you're black or Italian or Irish, you can only live here kind of thing. Uh, and I think that if we're openly ignoring it and saying, hey, like, and silencing young Black people for um, explaining their reality, I mean, it just is kind of doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh, for sure. And like, especially in the States, I, I like your kind of perspective on kind of the American side of it, because I feel like in Canada, a lot of people think, oh, it doesn't really happen here. It's not as prevalent here when that's kind of like a... um a fallacy like we don't it's still a huge part but especially in america having slaves come over from africa it was like the big the largest migration of humans in our our global history so that diaspora that people are are experiencing is not just going to work itself out in one to two to three to four to five generations mm-hmm. it's a it's a problem that's going to now be affected and and a lot of people then you know they have parents that were born in africa and then they have parents that were born in america and then feeling that kind of um, torn identity and not knowing where they fit in the in the whole picture 
And so there's so many angles you can look at it. But on the surface level, you're, you're totally right, is the whole family dynamic in the Black community and and not um, associating it with just like criminals and, oh, yeah, I don't have a dad because he went to jail and, and things that are, are perpetuated through this racist kind of um, agenda that gets that gets placed out there. So mm-hmm. and it's interesting that, you know, you, you say it in a way where you're like, oh, my coach kind of approached mm-hmm. me in a way of caring. But then it came off as this um, you can't say this or you can't speak about how mm-hmm. your experiences actually actually happen and I think that's such a huge thing especially as white people coming into the conversation Uh, we automatically have this bias and we're automatically discrediting the experience because we view it and we've experienced it in a very very different way Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to me that you know a coach came in there kind of thinking of oh I'm gonna you know get to know my player better but only what I want to hear and not what I actually you know not the harsh reality of what it what it might be yeah and I think definitely like people are just so kind of shut off to the idea like I was in my family studies class uh this year that uh it was actually a really interesting class because we talked about uh intergenerational trauma and kind of how that affects communities and we were talking so of course we started off with talking about Black Lives Matter and um I was kind of like explaining my experience of how watching the whole George Floyd situation go down and um it was a really um emotional thing for me to talk about because at school lots of people see me as oh Soleil's a big wrestler rugby player kind of person and um I just had it it was really difficult I had just had full-on tears because I had to explain um what it felt like to watch someone uh, that looked like me uh, have his life drained out of him to a bunch of people that sat there. Sorry, <laughs> it's sorry, it's just so okay, hard. You to don't have to about. apologize. But um, just to, and I had a bunch of people that I've known some since elementary school sit there and look at their phones while I was talking about that and I was crying. And I, it's hard, it's hard for me, especially at school, because I've kind of just been someone that's kind of just put up, used athletics kind of as a shield to kind of hide my emotions um, and kind of being vulnerable in front of a bunch of people that I know aren't necessarily like the most accepting people in the school environment. Um, and just to have your peers sit there and kind of um, ignore your experience is um, a really difficult thing because watching someone and not just George Floyd, but also hearing about Breonna Taylor and watching Jacob Blake uh, get shot in front of his kids, um, watching people that look like you face this kind of violence every day is just really difficult and having to explain your feelings to, to someone not just someone, but about five people that just sat there and honestly could not have given two shits was like, it was really difficult. And it just kind of put into perspective for me about how people just are really ignorant to the things, but it's, yeah, it's just a really difficult thing to go through at school. And you'd think that people would kind of be like more with it. I don't know if that's like the best phrase to use, but kind of, you know, just like accepting of, the issues that are going on in the world. You know, I don't know how you can watch a video of somebody losing their life or hear stories about people like Breonna Taylor being um, murdered in her home and not have it evoke some sort of anger, sadness, emotion. And 
you know, it's, it's pretty horrible that when you're, like you said, being vulnerable with your experience about it and people just can't even tune out for one minute, the rest of the world and just be there and, and be there with you and in, in your, your time of need. And I think it's so hard for people to understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, it's like, think about how, like it's, you feel hard, you feel hard done by trying to hear this story of this person and their experiences and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to help, but think of how every black person is feeling right now in this moment, watching, like you said, a video of somebody that looks exactly like you being murdered. And for me, that just doesn't, it just doesn't compare. You can't compare anything else to it. And I will never really experience that in the way that you will. And it's hard that people can't just, yeah, sit there and and listen to you for sure. And I think it just, it just kind of speaks to the whole, the whole concept of, of the idea that people can just look back on their phone. And this all started with a video on a phone and, you know, a, a black person couldn't even die with like dignity. They couldn't even, you know, their, their entire life and death was plastered everywhere on social media and think about his family and his friends and his children that are then going to watch that. And that is there forever. And then somebody can't even listen to you without looking at their phone for five minutes. So yeah, it's a harsh reality. And and I'd love to sit here and be like, oh, well, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe they just had a bad day or it's overwhelming for them too, but there's only so long you can do that for. And and I'm at the point where it's just kind of like, it's just not, it's not good enough. It's just not good enough. For me also, like I have to acknowledge my privilege as well, being mixed. Um, I am, when I'm in public with my family, I'm able to hide behind my family because my mom is white and the rest of my family is white. And that's the only family I do spend time with. So I have to acknowledge my privilege there a hundred percent, but I also have to realize that when I'm on my own or I'm with my friends that I am just as vulnerable as everyone else. And like, even I had an incident in Maple Ridge with the RCMP. I was walking down the street with my friend. I had, uh, I was watching other dogs. I had a pit bull with me and I was walking down the street and, uh, officer stopped me um and said like just started like hounding me with questions and I was like what's going on here and he's like oh well you're not who we're looking for I guess but you matched the description so and I mean for me like especially being mixed too I do get like mistaken for other races like uh like at rugby people ask me if I'm Samoan all the time or anything else like if I'm Pacific Islander or like some pe- sometimes I'm mistaken to be East Indian or something but like so maybe I did kind of fit dark skin certain build and you know that's kind of hard for me as well like I do have to realize that I I have to carry myself a certain way and especially like if we talk about code switching lots of people you know using your customer service voice mm-hmm. and not and not acting black or whatever is kind of difficult I mean when people are in an environment where you need to act white or act black or whatever it's very very difficult and I think that especially like when you're around police officers in a public setting um where they're asking you questions and you may be in a vulnerable position like I was in I was in grade 10 at the time and it was like so maybe maybe now I might have been able to be stand up for myself a little bit more but 
as a no, great same time, you know, like that, yeah. that's a power dynamic that's going on right there. That's somebody with authority. So at the same time you say, oh, I could have stood up for myself. But the fact that you're walking into that situation already with this, oh my gosh, I can't say anything. I can't do anything. Whether you were in grade 10, whether you were like, you know, an adult, you're already, you experience that no matter what. And you experience that power dynamic. And, and in all reality, let's get real. If the police are looking for somebody, I don't think they're out walking their dog. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, if they're really, if it's that dire that they need to stop somebody and question you, you're clearly not the person they're looking for. And so that you see those racial biases coming out in, in the people that are supposed to be like serving and protecting when in reality, you know, the police were formed in order to um, make sure that black people were not breaking yeah. their laws. And mm-hmm. it, and it, it all links back to slavery, right? And, and that whole concept. And, and even though, you know, slaves were emancipated and, and the Atlantic slave trade ended, it didn't because it just took on new forms mm-hmm. and still today there are tons of le- pieces of legislation that that put black people at risk and and especially any interaction with the police so yeah don't, don't say that you know you, you like oh i could have maybe handled it better because at the end of the day you're walking into a situation where you are probably scared for your life and yeah that's just it's pretty horrific that somebody in grade 10 had to go through that yeah and i mean And that's another thing is like also like not believing people's experiences and like especially me because a majority of my friends are white a majority of people that i'm around are white my favorite one is you're not like them especially that's one that my family really likes to use especially my grandpa and my nana because they're old and they obviously aren't i hate using this word woke (laughs) but um like so they're like you're not like the other black people and i'm like if you don't know me, I'm just like everyone else to any old racist person walking down the street. <laughs> like your family is really like gonna, of course, they're gonna say no, no, and kind of just brush it off. And they're not gonna realize actually like what you go through and lots of people, like my grandpa <laughs> isn't the most politically correct person. He's an old he's white said, dude. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's an old white dude. And <laughs> like, he's not, he says some things and I'm like, oh my God, like you can't say that. I struggle sometimes too, because I'm like thinking, how do we fix this whole system? This whole system that is literally built on slavery, our entire, which was driven by, you know, racism and, you know, um, a little bit of religion in there as well and how do we how do we begin to fix that system because even even when the system was attempted to be fixed there was some sort of other legislation or there was something else that was put to kind of reaffirm racism so i i struggle sometimes because i think oh my god like we uh, you know there's nowhere to go like there's nowhere to change this and there's nowhere to do it which is a definitely like a, a white kind of fragility perspective where it's like i can't do anything to help uh which, you know, I don't even have to live it. I have to hear it from people. So again, you kind of have to check yourself and think, okay, I'm, I'm sat here thinking, what, what am I going to do to help? But I'm also, this is like, I'm the outside party. So think about the people that are, are in it at the moment and they have to experience that every day. But it is tricky. It's like, where, where do you fix it? And how do you, how do you move forward and, and grow as a community and, and, and whatnot, especially in sport as well? Like, how do you, you know, you, you get like the Colin Kaepernick's and, and, People are so, so horrible about that whole situation. And then now you look back and you're like, he was right the whole time. Like, 
you know, so I don't know. It's, it's a tricky one, but in terms of sport, like, and racism, what's your, what's your kind of take on that? Um, I think that depending on what sport, I'll just explain one experience. Not that I, I've had, uh, hockey is going to be where I'm going to go with this one because hockey is obviously a white dominated sport. Um, and that is another slavery thing too, is because hockey is expensive. And so obviously because black people haven't been able to have that leg up financially because of having not, not being able to find employment and that kind of thing after slavery, like obviously, so hockey's become a white dominated sport. It's expensive. And um, so I was playing boys rep and uh, I had, there was another black kid on my team. His parents are from, they're Jamaican from England. His dad played uh, soccer actually in the Premier League and a kid called EJ, the N word, hard R. And uh, our coach did nothing about it. Our coach is like, oh, well. And uh, there was also another incident with a referee uh, with EJ the refer every time we had that referee, he was suspended. And uh, so obviously, and kids were doing the same thing that he was doing. Uh, what happened? He took a shot like a second after the whistle went and then they sent him off the ice. And another time it was a hit from behind. And it was just like, it was really frustrating. And our coach did nothing about it and actually got to the point um, where his dad said, hey, this is enough. And uh, he kind of just kind of stepped away from hockey. But and it's really unfortunate to see things like that taking kids out of sport. People just don't realize like what this does to people. And my mentality behind it is like I kind of felt guilt that it wasn't happening to me, too, because I kind of felt like, why are they doing it? Just them. They bet like mm. if this is my teammate. Like I want to look out for them. Yeah, for sure. And and like you said, you know, that that young player taking a step away from the sport the the solution was not well what's going wrong here and and how can we help this player and support this player better and and protect this player the solution was for him to leave and and that's kind of loops back in that whole kind of narrative of of young black kids being disruptive and you know being aggressive and he was probably doing nothing any worse than any other player yet he faced way harsher realities and and yeah, it's just so unfortunate. And and I'd love to sit here in, in a blissful uh, world and think that that doesn't happen in youth sport today, but it does. I've witnessed it. It, it totally happens. And um, and yeah, especially playing, like you said, hockey, it's a totally like the economic imbalance between um, black people and, and white people for sure creates this divide naturally. Um, and how do you how do you get kids playing sports? when they don't have the financial means to be able to do it because of this system that constantly puts them um, at a lower, a lower standard and then reinforces it by when they finally reach that point, making the environment so unbearable that they have to leave. Uh, so what sort of aspects of sport do you think need to change to be more inclusive and safer for BIPOC athletes? I think that like being open to uh, forms of protest um, before games, uh, I think that I've seen a lot of that uh, people just just not understanding like uh, really what it's about. So kneeling before kneeling before the national anthem if you choose to do so um wearing a shirt if you want to wear that shirt that has whatever message you want it to say on it um 
and lots of people just have problems with things like that and it doesn't really make sense i mean if it doesn't it's not hurting anyone it's trying to better uh things for everyone and professional athletes have some of the biggest voices and are very influential people so if people want to hold their fist up take a knee I think that we need to be more accepting of that in sport for sure and it's just that showcasing that solidarity you know like yes taking a knee is not going to solve things and it's not going to fix anything but it shows solidarity and it's a stepping stone towards um a, a better future and I think that when people don't do it or when people actively tried to to stop it from happening it kind of showcases that 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 racism that does exist in sports and a lot of people will say oh well sport shouldn't be political but in reality it is Uh, everything about sport is political from a young age uh, especially in the elite environment and especially being a person of color everything's political like you can't sit here and say oh well it's not political because it's just throwing a ball around Uh, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day whatever level you're playing at uh, if something political has happened to get you there (laughs) yeah so, yeah, I don't really um, kind of invite those kinds of people to be in my inner circle because I'm yeah. just like, you know, it's just not if you can't make that simple gesture of solidarity, there's a lot more there's deeper issues going on there for sure. Yeah, the, the, that's so true. And I mean, um, especially after the uh, U.S. election, I think you learned a lot about people that you knew. Um, for me, I actually had a teammate like just be boom, Trump. And I was like, oh, like, I don't care what your political beliefs are. But if you're gonna bring like people's like race into your political beliefs, and if you want to have conservative views, if you want to have liberal views, go for it. That's why we have democracy. And that's why democracy is a great thing. But if you're going to and this person told me that Donald Trump was the greatest thing to ever happen to black people (laughs) and just be like completely blind to like the issues. And like, and for me, I think it's very important. I'll watch CNN, I'll watch Fox and I'll take cross compare and take kind of what's the most like, I don't know, true out of it. I mean, I think you have to watch everything to kind of like get, the full picture and there's of course like obviously those two new outlet news outlets are probably the most problematic yeah um <laughs> my, gra- my my grandparents uh, solely watch cnn and fox news and think that that's the the y'all and all written in stone that's where it mm. like my grandma will literally go well i saw it on cnn <laughs> like okay can we just take a second to think about how this is maybe not the best route of getting your yeah. news plus that one but okay <laughs> yeah i mean i think like obviously people aren't gonna if people are gonna believe something especially with like the whole like insurrection thing happening and watching that oh what a gong show that was but um like watching people like walk in there with the confederate flag and i'm like you people (laughs) oh no sorry are you you're not supposed to say you people anymore (laughs) but um like you guys like you don't you're believing in the confederacy which is against everything you're believing in in your american rights and everything and i was just like oh my god it was just like wow it's crazy though and you don't think people like that exist you're like whoa that like those kind of extremists those aren't real people and then you meet somebody and you're like oh my god you exist you there's people out there like that like yeah you're not even hidden you're like in my world yeah no and especially like me because like i was in Texas and lived there for a little bit that's where I was born and like you look at like Facebook from people that you know and I'm like oh 
I was like looking at this and I was like, you like know me. You like took care of me as a child. Yeah. And you're just gonna post like this stuff. I was like, that's uncomfortable it's for me to crazy. look at. I yeah. know and you think you think no matter what your political view is, anybody will look at Donald Trump and think, what an idiot. Like yeah. regardless of your political views, like he's a complete idiot. Like everything that comes out of his mouth sounds ridiculous. And people are like, no, we like how honest he is and we love it. And it's just like, <laughs> what? Like, how? How can you even sit there and say that? So, yeah, yeah it's pretty astonishing, but you can't you can't read into that too much or else yeah. you're down a rabbit hole of just like, mm-hmm. is our world to come to? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, for sure, yeah. But it's just like, especially when like a teammate and like a young person and like a young woman, like says these things it's just like so troubling I'm like dude <laughs> for sure yeah I know there's there's members of my team even who are a part of like the LGBTQ commu- community um who yeah vote for you know people that go sh- directly against everything their entire being and don't really see the problem with it and it just it, yeah I just think of my heart kind of breaks a little bit for all the people that have worked so hard before us to like try and get the most progressive like you know, people in office and then you see people vote um, the complete opposite way and you're like, nice. Okay, great. So we've gotten nowhere. But yeah, it's just it's one of those things, isn't it? But it's definitely a diff- it's a difficult one when it's a teammate or a friend or a family member. I find family members are the hardest as well to yeah. try and get to like come around. You're like, oh, God, like, what do I even say? Yeah, definitely. That's a thing too. It was like, especially when, again, like when all the George Floyd stuff was happening, my aunt was uh, living with us and uh, she was like, all lives matter. And I'm like, nope, that's not how that works. And my mom just like looked at her. I was like, oh no, I'm like, we're not going to have a sister fight in here right now. (laughs) Like, it's just like, and I think that that hearing like all lives matter was like the most troubling thing. And especially like when the insurrection happened, I'm like, you guys are the all lives matter, blue lives matter people. And you just killed a cop. Literally. (laughs) Literally. And it was like, so troubling. And it was like, yeah, it was like people, people like need to kind of take a step back and realize like what's going on. (laughs) And the, the funniest part for me too, is that white people, especially just can't let black people have even a moment. Like, just say nothing like just just say nothing be like you're right black lives matter 100 percent, and that's it full stop that's all you have to say you don't have to be like well all lives matter it just it totally discredits the entire thing and it's actively working against uh the black community so i just don't yeah i'm it's a tough one for me because i'm like very pretty open about it where i'm like no it just doesn't no that's not a thing that's not a thing don't make it a thing (laughs) Like, like Regina George said, don't make it a thing. Fetch is not going to happen. All lives matter is not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the same as in my family studies class that same day. And uh, this girl, she's like, is the one up with that group that was just like not in tune with anything. And then she's like, why don't black people just not say the N word? And I was like, wait a damn minute. Like, you don't Hold understand. You've cracked yeah. it wide open. We yeah. And I was like, I was like, well, you know, and like explained all this stuff. And I think definitely like the N word hard R and I had to like explain this to a bunch of people is to me, like how I interpret it. And I think this is how, I think this is a very popular idea is that that is like a term to me is like, cattle or swine or 
poultry, like anything like that. And animalistic. Yeah, it's it's a term to dehumanize black people. And so now with and some people people go both ways on the reclamation of that word. And like it's reclaiming that word and making it into something positive. And I mean, of course, like the favorite argument of every anti whatever person is, well, rappers shouldn't say it in the music. So then white kids won't say it. And I'm like, that, that's not how it works. It's really not hard to not say a word. Yeah. <laughs> like if I don't, if I'm coaching kids, um, I shouldn't drop F-bombs in front of them. Like, it's not hard yes. to skip that word. Definitely. It's, Definitely. it's not hard. It's not hard to skip that. And it's like, who cares if it's in the song? That's like, um, and especially uh, same same teammate was defending uh, Morgan Wallen uh, after he said the N-word. And he was like, well, it's, he, it was the second time this music artist had used it, white country music yeah. singer. And it was... Um, well he was drunk well that's almost drunk, worse <laughs> yeah like it's like people use like being drunk as a defense for like things as well as like sexual harassment and stuff and it's like um you should not be consuming alcohol if you're going to be uh doing things like that uh it's kind of like you can't use being drunk as a defense. It's an, it's it's a piss poor excuse for, sure. for like that. I don't know. And at the end of the day, if the argument is, oh, well, don't use the word, and then white kids won't use the word, how about we just teach white kids not to use the word? Like, yeah, it's kind of as simple as that. Like, uh, you know, you can just teach your child that you don't want them to use that word, and that you shouldn't use that word, and that it's not appropriate, yeah. and leave the rest up to the other people. Like, it's not your, it's just not your area of expertise. So just let it go. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, too, it's like at school, too, it's like the to kill a mockingbird debate where you're like, should the white English teacher use the N-word while reading to kill a mockingbird? No, skip it. <laughs> like, it's yeah. not hard. And I mean, especially like as a black student, I've been put into some pretty like uncomfortable situations where they're like, so wait, can you read this part, please? And I'm like, oh, okay, I see kind of like where we're going here with this. And I mean... Yeah, sure. Like maybe, and some people obviously for me as well believe that I shouldn't say it because I'm light skinned or like, um, and I'm like, sure, I can read it for you. And I think that like putting black students into certain like uh, situations where like, obviously after like uh, those signs were put up in my school, um, they wanted me to like talk to the students that like did it. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. But then like the staff member that was kind of like in charge of it, I guess, was like kind of, I've had like some run-ins with her before where she's like the person that like tries to be woke and she thinks she's doing the right thing. But it's like, I'm like, no, you're making microaggressions. Like, it's just like, oh, sometimes it just like makes me wonder like what's going through people's heads. 100%. And so she was like, basically like, just like kind of like trying to shut me down. But then like, after asking me, she's like, so we want to do like a display for Black History Month. Would you be willing to help us? And I was like, for sure. Cause like, I'm not going to be someone that's going to complain about something and then be like, no, I'm not helping you. Yeah. So, but at the same time, it's like, we expect the onus to be placed on people of color to fix it. So yeah. we've created this issue as a society 
as predominantly a white society. And then we're like, oh my gosh, what racism is a thing? Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, well, what do we do? And then people are like, oh, well, let's just ask the black kid. They'll, they'll yeah. figure it out. And it's just like people are, especially since like the Black Lives Matter movement became really apparent in the last year. I know it's been around for way more years than this one. Yeah. Uh, but especially on social media, it became super apparent this year. And, you know, people of color are exhausted. Yeah. From ask, people asking them what to do, how to do, how they experienced it. Mm-hmm. And we're not actually listening. You know, we're giving, we are listening, but not in the right ways. And we're expecting, you know, like that the solution should not be there that you fix it and you make a display for Black History Month. The solution should be that this is unacceptable at our school. And what are we going to do to create this like a safer space? And it shouldn't be the one person of color bringing it to your attention. It should be problematic from the lens of anyone. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I understand like why like people come to me because I am someone that like lots of people at school know, like because I've like been involved with lots of sports at school. So everyone just kind of wants me to be a voice and I'm okay with being a voice. I want to be a voice and I want to make change for, especially because like Maple Ridge obviously like is not a very diverse place. I mean, it has like gotten like more diverse but it's kind of, we have like a reputation for being kind of like a white hick town. And don't worry, I grew up in Abbotsford, so I know. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, obviously. So it's like, it's kind of like a thing where you have to know your audience. And that's like kind of like another code switching thing is knowing your audience. And so for me, I've kind of had to, you have to um, be palatable per se. Like you kind of have to be able to show people who maybe haven't had um, quite as much as an education, how they need to act and kind of what is okay and what isn't. For sure. And I think a big part of it too, is that when you speak, you're not speaking for every person of color. It's Mm -hmm. your experience and it's the way that you've perceived things. And I think that it's an issue when we expect you to speak for an entire group of people that you might not even represent, you know, so uh, it is such a complex issue. And I, and I get what you're saying about the whole, you know, you're, you want to be a person of change. And I, and I commend you for that. I think that's amazing. And that's the way that I would love everyone to be. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit problematic when people are just expecting you to be that person without, you know, giving you the opportunity to, to choose whether or not to be that person. Yeah, because like, of course, for me, like, I have no idea what it's like to be Indigenous. I have no idea what it's like to be Southeast Asian, to be Asian. Like, I have zero idea what that's like and what those people go through. And especially, I think, lately in Canada, I think we've been putting a very, very big focus on um, uh, Indigenous issues. And I think that that's something super important as well. And um, like, uh, funny enough, my wrestling team, we're actually like, the most diverse technically uh, sports team at our school because we have a very big indigenous presence on our team and um, our coach, everyone thinks that uh, he is a very politically incorrect person, but he's uh, he's white passing indigenous. And Mm. so people just kind of like turn an eye to that. And I think that acknowledging, we talked about this in family studies as well with our, uh, our teacher, she was actually part of the 60s scoop and no one knew that she was indigenous until um, she got in contact with her birth family uh, and so she is and she's like said it herself she's like yeah I am completely everyone's gonna look at me and say she's white and I think that acknowledging the experiences that um and 
the trauma of I think especially the educational system for indigenous people uh is just it's just something that's so crazy to me that we ignore in Canada and no one knew about residential schools until like 2000 like that's just something that um and another thing that we learned is I have this super cool social studies teacher Miss Matze and she was like uh she just give it everything straight because she's young she's with it and she's just spitting out all the facts and that actually um holocaust and apartheid were actually modeled from our indigenous residential school system and that's something that a lot of people just turn a blind eye to and that canada kind of has a part in some of the worst atrocities uh, in the world and i think residential schools are right up there with some of the worst things that have ever happened in the world so Oh, for sure. And and our government and communities do not recognize that 100%. So that's almost, you know, it reinforces that. And, you know, you talked a little bit before about intergenerational trauma, and that's a huge one for Indigenous students yeah. and Indigenous athletes. And, and you know, it is, it is interesting because, the, again, the whole concept of being Indigenous and being white and that's actually an impact of, of colonization as well. Passing as a white person is a huge issue in, in the education and the sporting world because we think, oh, I don't know anyone that's Indigenous, but you don't know anyone that's chosen to reveal their identity. And I think that's a big one on, on even the national team for the women. You know, we don't have anyone that I can think of that's openly Indigenous that has revealed their Indigenous identity. And that's a huge problem, you know, and and we are probably like the least diverse team ever. And, and you know, you think it's a, it's a pay-to-play model to get all the way up to the national team. Yeah. And that's a big one is the economic burden uh, Mm -hmm. that unfortunately, you know, you don't rugby doesn't necessarily cost much to play. uh, But when you try to get to the next level and the support and the resources you need are often unattainable for BIPOC athletes. So, you know, it's a tough one because you think, oh, you know, it doesn't come into sport, but it it really does. And and especially in Canada with our indigenous community, it's a massive one as well. Yeah, and I think like in rugby in Canada, I mean, luckily not from the 15 side so much, but definitely from the seven sides this summer with Charity Williams and Pam Lisa coming out and doing what they did um, for the Black Lives Matter in Victoria uh, was that that was something that really struck a chord with me. And like that was just seeing it. And it's been like such a huge news story, I think, in BC with them sharing their story and sharing their truth and how they've felt uh, as black rugby players in Canada and playing at such a high level. Uh, And they've gone from the bottom to the top. And I think that they are just champions for the sport and like what rugby represents. Totally. And, and to have two players that, you know, charity has been to the Olympics and, and Pam is a part of the program for the last few years to have two people where you can be like, those are amazing role models for young female rugby players in Canada. And, and to see that they're not just rugby players that they're, they're so much more. And, and I know charity for a fact has not had a straight and narrow shot uh, to getting to the, to the national program and, and to hear their stories and be able to actually see them is a huge, huge piece of it. So yeah, the sevens program definitely does a lot more. And I think we struggle as a 15s program because we're so far apart and we are not together as much as the mm-hmm. sevens program. 
so you run into that issue of, you know, the lack of funding and things like that. It's, it makes it way more difficult for us to kind of be a part of those things as a visual 15s group. Yeah. Um, but still on the basic level of just looking at our, our diversity on the team, it, it's, it's very, very poor. And that is something that, that needs to change and it has to lead, be led from within uh, at the end of the day. Um, so just to kind of wrap up, we'll just talk about kind of what advice would you give to a young um, person of color, a young athlete um, trying to mark their way in the world, in the sporting world, in rugby? What kind of advice would you give to them? Be confident in who you are. Don't be afraid to like share your story. I think that's super important. And if you see something that needs to be addressed, take care of it so you can be in the in like a safe environment because I think sport needs to be a safe environment for everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was great to hear your experience uh, being a black athlete in the rugby community and to hear your journey kind of through the sporting world, starting with your mom playing softball in the States and kind of where you are today and your long-term goals of, of hopefully playing for Canada in the near future. We would love to have you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so cool. Like for me, obviously, to get to talk to you, someone who's playing professional and playing on the national team. Like, thank you so much. It's so cool.